So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. My big challenge for everybody is, what else are you going to do? What are you going to do? And you know what's really neat, though? We've, I've mentioned prison several times. The reason so many inmates do come out in shape is what else do they have to do? This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Angry, stuck, burnt out. Those are some words that would describe where Joe Stokes found himself years ago. He was an incredible technician, made good money, and by all counts, had a good life. But he was miserable. He was angry. He was burnt out. His state became unbearable. He found himself forced to make a choice to either give in to the despair or somehow find a way to break free. Luckily, Joe found that way out. And in this powerful episode, he'll reveal how he did it and call you to do the same. It's a great interview, so stick around. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me effortlessly increase car count. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you on the show, man. Uh, Joe, for those that don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, So I've been a technician for a long time. I uh, was a company foreman for Eurofix, and uh, I'm now a district manager over Eurofix, Mike's Auto, Autofix. Right now, currently six stores, soon to be a lot more. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I'm a fairly busy guy. Yeah. So, uh, you and I had dinner the other night, and we had some really great conversation. I, I'd love for us to talk through some of that stuff because I feel like, especially for uh, owners, but then also foremen and technicians that are listening, um, there was a lot of things in that conversation that I think would bring incredible value. So if we could talk those things through, that'd be great. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things we talked about was a period of time when you were going through some self-improvement. Tell us about that period of time in your life. Yeah. So starting that out, um, I mean, anybody that's been in tech can relate. Doing the same thing over and over again is hard. Uh, especially if you like a mental challenge. So, and then that's really how, what gets my gears turning is mentally, what can I do to improve something? It, whether it's myself, an object, my home, a car, 
And for me, just doing the same thing every single day, once, yeah, I mean, once you get good at diagnosing a car, it really, it loses its luster. I mean, you get the rare sort of thing where it's like, you know, okay, this piques my interest. And those come in, you know, once a month. But most of the time, you would end up in this position where you're like, okay, I've done this before. I know the process. I'm going to, you know, even if it's can bus problems, you know how to do it. And you have a, a uh, protocol, if you will. And you're just going to walk through that. So it just, I mean, frankly, it got old. And um, that just kind of ate me up from the inside. That and I, I just drove a lot. I was when the traffic in Nashville was horrible at the time, so I was spending forty five minutes on a good day mm. in my car. And uh, I mean, and and I'm also an eight for anybody who's on the Enneagram. So traffic, like I was the <laughs> perfect. I mean, I fit the mold of road rage. Um, <laughs> and so when traffic would get bad, I drove an M three. And so it, it was just really bad. It gave me all these reasons to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting here just, you know, on like I guess said, a good day, 45 minutes, bad days would be an hour and a half because somebody was always crashing. And I was like, man, I have just got to make a change. And I think I was just self-aware enough to realize, well, you, what are you going to do? And that was the part that just constantly got to me, just was like, I couldn't beat that down. I couldn't beat it back. Mm. And it was like, well, I'm going to have to get better at something. I got to do something about, you know, I can't just sit here and stay in a career that I like. And I felt compelled to do it because I felt very obligated with, you know, I have four children. I'm happily married. And if you're going to provide for them, which I felt like I signed up for that, I'm not going to fail at that what do you do? And so it was like, I have to suck it up for a s- amount of time and work towards something. The And then, so, I mean, my approach was I can't go to college right now because I don't have the time or the extra cash with everything that was going on with my kids and stuff like that. And so that's where I started, you know, hey, I'm going to start reading books like crazy. And I discovered Audible. I'm like, well, I blow an hour and a half in my car every morning and every afternoon. Why not in there? So I started digesting books at about three hours a day on average. Uh, for the first year, I think I went through 45 or 50 books, something like wow. that. Um, and then next year was about the same. So, I mean, I was just hustling hard on those things. And I kind of came away from it with an idea that no matter what happens, all it's going to do is make me better. Mm-hmm. And so the selfish side of me said, you know what? There is no downside to this. There is. It's only a win-win. Even if you don't change careers, even if you don't move out of the position you're in, it is only a win. You're only getting better. Um, and I'm trying to recall the first one of the first books I read, but I think it was actually it was a Tony Robbins book, and he was talking about being careful about what you put in your head. And um, I noticed that my road rage was going down and down and down and down. And I started like when traffic would get bad, I would let people in. And I was like, what is happening to me? And and I also realized a lot of it was I wasn't feeding the beast, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because I've been started listening to all these books, I wasn't listening to this terrible music where they're consistently, you know, life sucks, everything's wrong, all this. Like that got 
inadvertently cut out of my life. Yeah. And it wasn't intentional. Um, but I discovered it was happening. And so the more I, I kind of went down that road, um, the better it got and the more intentional I got because I started to see small, little fragmented results in that regard. And so that's kind of really how it kind of kicked off. It was a little bit intentional on trying to get on that trailhead, but where the the views that the trail brought were completely, I, I had no idea that they were going to be there. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I just knew that it was going to be better than where I was. It couldn't be worse, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So uh, backing up just a, a bit, I want to I want to see if, if we can talk something out. Before you got to the point of saying something has to change, what was it like? What did you feel when you were in that grind? Like, what did that feel like? So we talked a little bit about the the, the concept of cognitive dissonance. Walk us through a little bit of the emotion around that period of time. Yeah. So the grind was I, I would continually teach other technicians that were in. We would like I raised up several GSs. You know, we would basically, and I really loved doing that. Was I would get somebody that you know maybe made eight at that point. It was eight dollars an hour. No one works for that now, but um, you know, eight to twelve bucks an hour. And within a couple of years, they were you know had a career at sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year. And yeah. they were worth, you know, a lot. Like I, these kids were getting to move out of their parents' house. So that, I mean, that was satisfying to a degree. And you get some heartbreak when, you know, some of them, you know, all of a sudden they think they hung the moon and then they leave. And they're just like, you know, thanks, pops. And they're out. Um, so it's that wasn't real satisfying in some ways. And that could lead to a lot of hurt. Um, at this point, I have a pretty good understanding of it. So I can kind of go back and look at it. But at the in the moment of it, that was beyond frustrating. Um, but part of that, like we were mentioning, is that grind of the day in, day out, changing oil, diagnosing. It was like I, there's this underlying tone of if I'm good at this and I'm, I feel compelled to learn things, but I'm trapped in whatever is coming my way. I have no control over what's coming in the door, what car type. And that right there was beyond frustrating because it was like, I'm not really doing what I want to do. I'm doing this because I'm good at it. Right. And I'm doing this to provide for my family. And, but frankly, I honestly, and again, I was kind of leaning into a little bit of that selfish side of, I feel like I can be good at anything I really want to be good at if I just put my head down on it. And that's where, it was like this underlying grind once I kind of realized it. And I'm pretty competitive in certain ways. Um, and so that that's where it was like this day in, day out type of thing where you have this in your head. You're going through the motions, but you're like, oh, my gosh, I do not want to do this anymore. I just do not want to do it. It's I've done done it and done it and done it. And at this point, my hands hurt, my knees hurt, my elbows hurt. I mean, you're putting, you know, sometimes 17 to 20 cars a day on a rack, getting up and down per side of the car, and your knees just banging into the concrete. I mean, I think I was telling you, I have flat spots on both of my knees Mm -hmm. from, you know, putting lifts under cars. And at this point, when that point in the scenario, you're really looking for something different. And I see that all the time in techs, which is beyond heart-wrenching for me to watch now. 
I'll see these guys that are 40 years old and, you know, you're interviewing them and they're just part of them. It's like part of them's dying inside mm -hmm. and they're giving up a lot because it's what is the industry going to hand me next? What are they going to give me next? What do they want out of me to learn to do this? And, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, shut up monkey dance type scenario. And that's that right there. I felt like I had enough awareness to see it early on that I was like, I don't want it. I don't want to do this forever. I understand it's a necessary evil in my life at the moment, but I'm going to do something. I've got to do something because I basically stopped and looked at it and was like, most of my family members have lived to be 80 plus. I don't want to do this at 80. And I don't, I'm not going to be, you know, over here on this other end, just throwing my life away because I care about my kids. So, and I don't want to do anything that I don't want them to do. You know, I'm thinking the whole time, my kids are watching. So, um, that's just, that was a huge motivator. But again, it was, how do you better yourself when you show up some, somewhere? And, and I want to be really clear that it wasn't the people I was with. It was the tasks I did every day. Um, there was some really great people that came and went and that I've gotten to work through and I've worked in multiple shops. Um, so that was, that was a lot of, uh, hardship in that, that you have these people you want to be good to and kind to and give back to because you do care about them, but you don't like what you're doing. So, and it creates this like unhappy family atmosphere almost. And that was pretty terrible. So that was where the motivation came from of like, look, this is not their fault. This is not the business's fault. This is mine. I chose this. I, I went and bought that giant toolbox. I bought all those tools in there. I bought my lab scope. I bought all this stuff. I showed up for all those classes. So if this is going to fall on anybody, it's yours truly. And that right there was incredibly heavy. And I'm the type when something like that happens, I just get just horribly pissed. And, um, and then I get really motivated. And if it's like, Hey, you're crossing the grand Canyon in that moment, I'm like, well, we're crossing the grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter. We're making this happen. And then I was like, well, crap, how do I make this happen? <laughs> I don't have a plan. I don't know. I mean, I was looking at classes. I was looking at like the Tony Robbins experience thing. And I was like, man, that's like so much money. And it's a weekend. And, uh, and there was a lot of other things out there. And so I was like, I need to find what will fit my budget and my time frame. And then that's where I kind of dove down. And I actually have a whole book list too that I give out to people on the regular, like to try to help with this. And I don't know how many people actually do it. I think most of them are like, oh, you're full of crap. <laughs> but, and it it's, you know, it's not something you get an incident result on. It was a grind for two years going, I don't know if this is going to work. But it was little things like not being so pissed at driving. And then when I got home and my kid left his bicycle in the middle of the driveway, I wasn't terribly pissed and wanting to run it over. I'm like, oh, I'm going to teach him. You know, that wasn't there, which I never did run my kid's bike over. But it was like I would just be irritated just from the day. I'd actually get home and be like, oh, move his bike out of the way, you know, pick something up. If there was something in the yard, park my car. And I was just noticing, man, I am chilling out so much more the more I kind of grasped the everything is my fault. Everything is my fault, period. At every point in your life, you had a chance to say, no, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. 
and you could have changed it 100%. And until you can go back and actually understand that and accept it and then digest it, what I mean by digest is realize that the world doesn't hate you because you did that, that you don't need to hate yourself because of that, that your wife and children don't hate you because you made this choice back then. Like I can go back and look and say, why didn't I do this sooner? Like that was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about the amount of guilt that came in, like what kind of stuff have I put thing people through? I mean, when we opened another store, we had people that volunteered to go to it. And a lot of the reason they volunteered to go to it was to get away from me and my really bad attitude. And I was pretty hot headed. Um, I was really good at my job, but I knew I was good at my job. And that was sort of like a coping mechanism to deal with not really wanting to be where you were and doing what you wanted to be doing. But it was all you know, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it's th that cognitive dissonance and understanding. I think that's a big factor is understanding when you're having the cognitive dissonance, that that's what this is, where you feel like it's this internal struggle and when you can't accept that this was my responsibility, because what does that mean? Fill in the blank. It means that I'm a failure. It means that everyone's going to reject me. It means that, you know, anything that's your issue, you're not good enough. Everybody's is different. But when that's what that means for you to own something, you've got some serious cognitive dissonance that you need to sit down and say, these are what, these are the items that I stand for, that I believe in. And start going through them and making yourself a list. Like there's a lot of young men that we have now that are like, well, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. And I'm always just kind of like, you know, hey, look, ask yourself, what are the things you will do and won't do? What are the things you will fight for and won't fight for? And I mean physically. Um, and I know I'm not encouraging violence, but if you were walking down the street and you saw some woman being attacked, would you get involved? Or would you just stand and watch? Are you that guy? And you can find out a lot about yourself that way. Mm -hmm. You know, are, are you, when you see somebody who doesn't have the money in a line to say, hey, I've got the money, I'll pay your, what you're missing. Or are you the guy that's like, sucks for you? And start seeing and putting down on paper what you stand for and then using one word to describe that. Like if you're in the grocery store and you help somebody out, then you can say, yeah, okay, I'm going to call that generosity. Um, if you're over here, you know, helping somebody cross the street or unload or load something up that you just see at random, you're kind. And you start putting these words to descriptions and scenarios that you would find yourself in. You can come back with this expression sheet, if you will, of this is me. These are things I stand for and what I am about. And then you can look at scenarios in your life and go, well, I can see exactly why I've got this cognitive dissonance. I'm not aligning with all of these things. And it's kind of asking yourself, do, do I do things that are in line with that on the regular? And am I willing to look at it? Am I willing to admit that while I say this and I agree with this, it's not my daily behavior? I'm doing something entirely different because it's a bad habit, um, which everybody has. I'm not, a, I'm not immune to that. Um, but people have them and they don't want to look at them. And I'm not saying you should just browbeat yourself. 
but you need to be aware. And if you say, this is a shortcoming, what can I do to be working on this shortcoming? And it, it's really easy to get a lot of irons in the fire on that and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. I did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And it'll kind of cascade. And that's super important that you look at it and say, hey, this is what I can control. This is what I can't control. And I'm going to start with this one thing that I feel like is the most important. And I'm going to start there. And understand this for some people, for me, it was about two years to have substantial difference in where people around me said, hey, something's been changing. And reason where I actually saw like success start changing was like a good three and a half years. And then now we're talking, gosh, seven, eight years out. It's um substantially different. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. So Joe, reflecting back on how you got to this place of you're living in freedom, uh, you're living in this place of being curious. It, it sounds like in the beginning, you had this moment where you just woke up. Mm-hmm. And where, how, if, if someone's listening to this and they're having this cognitive dissonance where they just know something's not right, they know that where they're at is not where they should be and, and their actions are lying to them and they're just in this stuck place. You had this moment where you woke up. Mm-hmm. What got you to be able to wake up? Well, I'm, I had all the indicators where I didn't want to look at myself if I if something didn't go my way I didn't want to go back and re-examine numbers you know if it was let, let's use work for an example if we didn't hit a certain number I didn't want to go back and look at this and this and this or if I did go back and look it was I would establish a blame of someone else. Oh, this guy didn't turn enough hours or this person didn't sell enough of this or, oh, our car count. So it must be advertising instead of saying, did I go and talk to that guy about his hours? Did I make sure the tickets were quoted correctly? Did I supervise any of that? And so that that's an indicator. So if you're that guy that likes to blame that's a great indicator. If you blame anybody, other people's names roll out of your mouth. When there's a problem, you're the problem. That's just how it is. Finally, at some point, you you know that you're the issue, but what you're really doing is you avoid anything that pinpoints it at you. Because I had write-up sheets in my toolbox. I had all that. They weren't filled out. I wasn't doing it. Um, and I, I wasn't going to go back and measure that, but I was going to measure everybody else. 
So when you're consistently comparing other people, but not yourself, it's a huge indicator. If you're using other people's names where they mess something up, that's an indicator. If there's a, sometimes it's not people, it's a circumstance, you know, oh, well, we don't do enough revenue to buy from this vendor or, well, they just did this or you're too scared to call your credit card vendor and they're charging you like 4%, but you're like, well, um, I guess I'm just going to pay the bill and eat it. Really? I mean, these are all indicators, right? That you have an issue going on and some of them will listen to this and go, no, I just don't like confrontation. Well, that's part of it. It's because you haven't learned it and you haven't even confronted yourself. When you can't confront yourself, you're not going to confront anybody else. You might fight somebody else. Mm. There's a big difference between fighting and confronting. You have to be looking for those indicators. You got to. If you're going to listen to this and say, yeah, I do that. Yeah, you know what? I come home and I'm just mad at the world. Yeah, I, you know, I come home every day and I have to have a beer just unwind. I've got to. You don't have to, FYI. Um, I have been there. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go home and be happy. You can have other things in practice, you know, in practicality in your life to help you deal with stress. For mine now, it's I work out a lot. I go walk with my wife. Um, I'll sit in my truck and just unwind and kind of like I was saying, I have a notepad. If it's something that's a big deal. I'll write things down on my notepad. If it's not, and I just need to kind of digest, I just sit there and talk out loud and go over something 10, 15 minutes in my truck, jump out of the truck, go in the house. I'm good to go. Cause when I go in there, you know, I'm, I am dad, husband, and that's, I am rocking and rolling and I want to be good at that. I want to be that. And there's a, there's a place you can end up landing in where you're so fed up with just everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. I've talked to so many owners and they're just like, oh, it's just everything. And they can't pin it down to one thing. I'm telling you, it's you. It is you. It's your life is a mess mentally. You've got to, especially if you're a kind of a black and a white person um, and listen to the people around you that say that. And if you don't have people around you that are brave enough to say that, you need to get new friends. Like Adam Prizer, I quoted him earlier, he at one point had said that he's like, Joe, you are very black and white. It's either right or it is wrong. And I do feel like, like with ethical and moral things that come up in life, I am a very staunch. Mm -hmm. It is, it is right or it's wrong. And I have very little room for movement in that. Um, But I feel like that's part of taking care of my family and myself in that regard is I have a standard that I live by and it's not everybody else's and it's not everybody else's to know, but it is mine. And I share it with my family. Like this is what you can expect out of me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a huge thing. So if you've got all these indicators happening, you start, where are you violating yourself? You know, where wow. are you, where are you not living up to things that you agree with? Nobody can do it for you. And uh, as Jim Rome always said, and one of, if you guys don't listen to Jim Rome, you need to. He's, he's a good dude. Oh my gosh, he's amazing. But um, he has that saying about where he says, guys, I'm going to tell you what next year is going to be like. And it's going to be just like last year because we're not making any changes. We're not improving anything. We're going to do just what we are. 
we're pretty confident the competitors aren't going to do anything. So we're going to do the same thing and we're going to be great. It'll be just like it is. And he's like, who's happy with that? And I mean, how many people out there are looking out for your life and are going to make your life better next year? Yeah. People don't plan your life. They don't plan your vacations. Yeah. And, and something I always tell my kids is be careful when you're with your friends and be careful when you're doing things because only you will pay the price for what you do. What I do today, like I am a hundred percent in the understanding somebody's going to be mad about what I said today or say, I'm so full of crap. And that's totally cool. And I'm more than ready to hear that. But I'm also expecting that somebody's going to say, Hey, I really liked what you said. And that hit home for me. And then they'll find me at some conference and I'm going to have to talk to them about it because that was what I signed up for when I came in here and sat down. That's the way I'm looking at it. And the people that, and that again, that's that overall awareness of everything you do sends waves down the line. And it's you going and yelling at an employee. Guess who started looking for a job? Guess who just jumped on on Indeed and started updating yeah. their resume? So, um, it, it, you know, like you were saying, it's you got to be looking for these indicators of man, what do I, where, where am I going wrong? And if you're not looking at them and you think you don't have them, man, you're the candidate. Yeah. You're you're it. You get these indicators. You got to do something about it. And so when you go to do something about it, you need to start writing them down. That's a good way to start. Start saying, you know, when I get mad, I feel like, and then it'll be, no one's listening to me. And break that down. Does that mean they don't value what I have to say? Or they think, is it possible that I'm just too angry to hear? Um, Asking yourself, does my behavior line up with what I'm saying and that's why they don't want to hear me. I'm just up there running my mouth. And when you're in that moment of saying, I am so tired and your answer is not in terms of why you're so tired is not because, well, I've got this going and I'm moving forward here. I hired this guy and I'm training them here and you're doing all of these things because of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good. I'm glad you're tired. That means you're doing but if it's, well, this person's doing that, they mess this up, and then this, another you know, indicator. I'm still, you know, the city didn't approve my, my uh, whatever it is, my sign yet, and then this, the codes guy didn't show up, and he's supposed to be there last week, and all these things, and I'm just mad at the world about it. I mean, those right there where you got to stop and say, where did you sign up? Because your name is on a dotted line somewhere, <laughs> and you need to go back and look at it if you're nonstop tired, if you're nonstop upset and you're consistently having these problems and you play the blame game, there is freedom on the other side of being the responsible one. I'm just saying, man, learn what I learned and hurry up and do it already. You're going to screw up. It's totally cool if you do. It's totally yeah. fine. We don't have a errors chart like in baseball where we're counting every drop or every missed throw or every ball. We're not counting that. That's not how life really works. And I want to make sure we comment on this. Owning your problems does not also mean that you become some shame-ridden person. 
Mm, where great. you consistently say, oh, I'm not worth this. It doesn't mean that. I feel like, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant, I feel like I'm worth a lot. Mm-hmm. However, I don't feel like I get to run around and demand that of people. It's, it, I, I believe it should be, you know, hey, I can show you what my worth is. And then you can take it from there. Yeah. And you decide if it's valuable to you. And if you don't, Think it's valuable to you? That's okay. You give it's them totally that freedom. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's that lower foundation, and it is important to not try to like. I don't. We don't allow the phrase "shame on you" in my house. Period. Mm-hmm. It does not. Same in mine. We do not ever do that because shame is often the most associated emotion and or feeling with people that struggle with suicide, and it is. There's no room for it. There really isn't. Putting somebody else down, all it does is say how much how much you're personally lacking. That's what it shows the world. Mm-hmm. And if you are lacking that much, it is okay. But you don't get to do that to other people. You need to turn around and say, oh, wow, I'm doing that. And say, okay, how do I, how do I change it? And if you can't, process it on your own. It's just too much. You need to get a friend, someone who's usually probably more successful than you, usually more smarter, may not be smarter, but comes across as smarter. And usually is probably someone that intimidates you. And I don't mean from like a physical way, Mm -hmm. but because of their success or because of their, they know what to say and go talk to them and say, I need this honesty reflected back to me. I need that. And then take what they say, write it down. Don't go home and just blast it out to everybody. Take some time and really reflect on it. Think on it. Um, Because that's some of the best stuff you'll ever get. It really is. And, And again, I mean, like I said, I've had numerous people say, and I had people laugh when I started like working on things. And um, they're like, when did you get all soft and, (laughs) <laughs> Pokey pokey. And I was like, man, dude, I will kick your ass five weeks from Sunday. Is what wanted to come flying out. Right. And then I was like, you know what? I get more hugs from people now than I ever did in the past. And I get invited to more things than I ever did in the past. I like my life a lot more now than I ever did in the past. So call it what you want. But yeah, the great thing is, is realizing if you're that aggressive guy, that that's a tool. It is a, it is a circumstantial tool. Then for me, quick, small smidget background, moved all the time, single mom, never finished a single grade in one school, always the new kid. I got in fights all the time, all the time. So everywhere I went, it was, and we lived in trailer park after trailer park in, you know, prison town. Just, we lived in a very, very rough life or rough parts of town and with a rough life. And, uh, so fighting became the norm. It was very normal for me. And that's where a lot of the aggression came from. Right. And realizing later, hey man, that's that's a tool. It did you needed that before. Yeah. It was necessary but at the time. You don't now. Yeah. You can put it on the shelf. And believe you me, the moment anything that goes off that this might be a threat, it comes roaring back. Yeah, your body that's, remembers. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. the thing I think people real, don't realize is that, man, you can dump these old habits and they can come right back. 
Like you're not giving anything up. It's you're putting it on your shelf. It's yours. You have freedom to use it. When yeah, you want exactly. And that's the one of the great things is I'm not. What's it's actually kind of funny is uh, I was not afraid to get in a fight with people. I was like, I'm cool eating a punch, but I was afraid to have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that might be, you know, it might offend them. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. If we have to go into throwing blows, I'm cool. <laughs> like, how did you just accelerate all the way to there? But it that's the way when you grow up like that, that's just what you do. And the whole point I'm getting at is break that kind of thing down and ask yourself, why am I doing that? Why, why am I so quick to be like, yeah, or I need to flex my power. And if I'm the owner, it's like, well, you're fired right away. Instead of saying, Hey man, why don't I flex my power in terms of let's have a good conversation. Why do you feel the way you do about, you know, your work environment or how do you feel like it's going? Tell me what you like and what you don't like. And yeah. I'm able, I'm big enough that I can hear it. And I may not implement your ideas. I may disagree all entirely, but I'm going to hear you out. And yeah. I'm going to make you feel heard because I'm literally going to hear it. I'm going to put value on it because you're not going to be working for me if I don't value you, period. Right. I just, you're not a good fit. So I feel like that's it's all part of it and it's all really one big circle but the big thing is is when you're in the rut and you're at the bottom realizing hey I'm at rock bottom I've got all these indicators I've got all the symptoms of this that I need to start working on myself and you don't know where to start you need to start with hey this is writing stuff down this is why I'm mad and this is why I'm so upset or whatever it is your way some people get sad. Some people get angry. Some people, you know, yell and scream. Everybody's got a different thing. Some people, you know, they find comfort in, you know, drinking too much or they, some do in eating too much and realizing that and saying, it's okay that I'm doing that because you get to change. That's right. You get to, you get these opportunities. You got freedom. Exactly. You don't, no one's saying, Hey bro, you're stuck there. This isn't prison. It's not. And yet we treat it like that. If I write it down on paper, oh my God, it's, it's there forever. Now for the next 45 years of my life, I'm forever going to be this person that just, you know, gets mad and angry at everybody. Anytime anything ever goes wrong, it's like, man, you know what? Just start trying. I walked out from my parents' house with almost very few life skills, especially socially, like just none. It was all developed on the fly and it was painful. It was incredibly painful and hard, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching all the time because you're accepting that you failed and messed up and broke people's hearts and made people really mad and uncomfortable for years is bad. And then you become aware enough of it and then you relive moments that you did that you totally forgot about where you were the bad guy. Because once you get like in your head, um, your brain's just looking for homeostasis, right? It, it doesn't actually know good and bad. You establish good and bad. Like when you see these native tribes that kill one another and they do all this stuff, it's part of their culture. Like they'll bury themselves when one of them dies They'll with their oldest child that's alive. It's part of their culture. We would look at it and go, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Right. But again, we created this culture. That's their culture. I'm not going to get into, is that right or wrong? Um, 
but it's the point that you have to acknowledge that it's a different culture. It's a different way of looking and thinking and doing stuff. Now you can move through it. If you just say, ah, that's broken and that's on another person, man, it's, it's like you're, you're blinding yourself to so many things. So when you look back and you get comfortable with all that stuff happening, I'll still get like flashbacks or remember or a certain car will spark off. Like we had a Volkswagen VR6 come in one of our shops and I was looking at it and it was the same color as when we had back in like probably 2011. And we had done all this work and I had this horrible bad habit of walking by guys and they would be on the struggle bus with what was wrong with car the car. And I knew what was wrong. And I would walk by and I would tell them what was wrong and just say, walk by Diag. And I'd wave my hands in the air. Wow. And the thing was, is most of the time I was right. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, man, I was making so many enemies so fast. It was like people got so mad, so, so mad. And so I saw a car in the shop and this was like a week ago. And it was the same car that I did that. And I just remember the guy that I did that to his eyes, if looks could kill, oh my gosh, man. That guy was like, dude, I could shoot you and sleep <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> I mean, he was ready to be done with me so, so fast. But my aggression level was so much higher than his that it was like, what? What are you going to do? Like, I'll, I'll push it. And, uh, and that was a horrible, horrible way to be. It is. And if you're that person and you do that in real life, man. Just stop. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes being treated. I mean, those are like prison rules and we are not in prison, but yeah. And so the part of this, that is, this is, it keeps you, I feel like keeps you humble and it keeps you in check is that when I saw that Volkswagen last week and I saw it, it's like it instant replayed in my head and I'm pretty, I I get triggered by, I shouldn't say triggered like Karen triggered. I get <laughs> memories triggered by like mm-hmm. by visual and smells really strongly and they just fire off like a in my head it's like a video going. Mm-hmm. Um and I can just daydream with my eyes open, which is I like to do. Um but it just played through and it was that guy looking at me and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is so bad." And I'm like, "I'm I'm the guy that was associated with that." And that is, you can't undo it. You can't. It's like, man, that's recorded. It's burned into that guy's head. And the only thing I can do now is apologize that, you know, man, dude, I treated you so bad. And I was a complete, you know, D-bag to you. Totally shouldn't have done that. And, you know, in multiple other scenarios too. And I'm really sorry. I really am. And that's about all you can do at this point. I don't walk around scared of anybody liking or not liking me. And it's not from a place of like, oh, well, you're their boss. It's not from that at all. Mm-hmm. It's that I, if they say, man, I don't really care for you that much. I'm like, oh my, well, let's talk about it. Because I'm just like, well, you have the freedom to, and I accepted freedom. And if I have it from me, which I know I want, yeah, then you get to have it too. That's how freedom works. And once you really, really, really grasp that, then, man, you're free to have all these problems and ignore them. And you're free to turn around and literally tomorrow say, I or today, and say, I'm changing it yeah. now, right now. 
and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to start owning my issues. You're going to, if you have somebody in there that challenges you at work all the time and you're the owner, walk in there, pull them, pulling them aside and saying, Hey, find the words. If you don't, if you, you know, have a coaching company or if you have anybody that you look up to and say, Hey, call them up. I have this scenario. I need help finding the words Mm, to do this. And they can loan you the confidence to go in there and do that and relay what needs to be said. And once you do it one time, the second time is, I promise you, half as scary. And I used to write down every time I had to deal with a problem customer or uh, anybody that was an employee, I would write my notes down and I would rehearse it. And, And I thought, man, this is going to be such a long time to live 45 years having to write stories out on paper and make notes. And then one day I realized one of them snuck up on me. A I was walking through the front of the shop and the manager goes, hey, well, actually the my manager, my boss is right here. And they did it like a sideways comment and dumped the customer on me with, you know, I basically had no notice except I heard, well, my boss is right here. And I was like, oh, great. I just walked into something completely blind. I don't even know their name or what their, what their issue is. <laughs> Oh man. And I was instantaneously like, I don't get to make notes. And the great thing was I went outside, talked to this person, heard them out. And then all of a sudden it was just thinking on my feet and everything's fine. And I haven't made notes about a problem like that since. Wow. And I don't at all anymore. I just jump in the conversation and it's like learning to swim. You're going to have to get wet and your head's going to go underwater a few times. But if you just keep at it. It's another layer of freedom. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, dude, I'll go anywhere. I'm not at all concerned. And if anything, now I realize how much if I'm not excited about it or I don't want to be there, I just don't. Yeah. Because I'm okay with myself and I'm okay with who I am and how I treat people and the people that I love that I enjoy their company because of the choices I've accepted and the behaviors I've done, and they know the same. So it is really about mentally building your life and intentionally doing it. The intention is really, I feel like, all of this. If you don't have the intention, then you won't have discipline. If you don't have discipline, you won't block out distractions. And if you live for the distractions, you're never going to do anything. You'll never be courageous to say no one of the biggest things you can all learn is no. Yeah. Just, you know, if so, if you're not a hell yeah in, into that, don't do it. Like if you're on that struggle bus, and I'm not saying do that for the rest of your life. You don't want to do that. It's just like dieting. It's seasons. Yeah, it's yeah. seasons. You do them for a short time to gain something. Right. And once it's served its purpose, you stop. Um, but, you know, saying no. Right now, I'm only doing things that I'm incredibly excited about because – my, I'm that way right now. I've gotten greedy with my time because it dawned on me that my two, I have twin sons that are 18 that are graduating high school this year and they're leaving for college. And it slapped me upside the face. It was a hard reality that I tried to push out of my mind. And, but it's happening. So now I'm going, you know what? I'm doing anything and everything I can. My big challenge for everybody is what else are you going to do? You what are you going to yeah. do? And you know what's really neat, though? We've, I've mentioned prison several times. The reason so many inmates do come out in shape is what else do they have to do? 
Mm. They're forced into a position where they only have like they, a lot of them will continually, if you, there's a bunch of books about it and there's other people that have talked about it and it'll take a long time to get into all that, but there are numerous ones. They come out with a skill set. Mm-hmm. They're either, they play cards a lot. They're either really good at that and they clean house. Many of them will in, learn another language because they have libraries there and they'll read a lot. Many of them get much better playing whatever game they're allowed to outside. And a lot of them work out and they work out almost every day because there's nothing else to do. So if you can stop and say, I can simplify my life a little bit for a short term and a short time frame before I overcomplicate it again to better it. And it's going to be, and here's the great part. These skills last your lifetime. These mental skills don't wear out like your body does. It's not like, oh man, in college I was so strong and now I'm not because I know I blew my ACL or, you know, this went round or this went down and, you know, and I've got a list of injuries. But the great thing is mentally being able to do all these things. And yeah, you know, I'm there, what do they call it? Mental ju- or uh, verbal judo mm-hmm. and getting good at it. It is so worth your time. It's probably the most valuable thing. If you value relationships, if you can listen to this and say, I value my relationship with my wife and my kids, you owe it to yourself and them to learn how to communicate better. And then you stop it and asking yourself, is the way I'm doing stuff and and if you're going to list all these excuses to not do these things I'm talking about, like simply making notes, you have to ask yourself, are they not worth it? That's powerful. Joe, thank you for the gift of this conversation. Absolutely. This was awesome. I love the the journey of awareness, uh, brought you freedom, and you put in the work. And, and those are just, those are incredible clues that uh, I think our listeners can take and, and become more successful. That was my interview with Joe Stokes. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you would like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.